Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to exploring exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of our ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. All right, every week I read some of your letters as our way of respecting the very important role you have in helping us to make this show successful. Last week, our guest was Michael Clarkson, and we discussed his book, The Poltergeist Phenomenon. The long and the short of it, according to Michael, comes down to this. Poltergeists are real. According to his research with 75 cases, approximately 95% of the cases involve psychokinesis, but the remaining 5% were indeed noisy ghosts. Michael also added that poltergeists may be mischievous, but they had not intentionally harmed anyone in the 75 cases he investigated. Natasha wrote, I really enjoyed your show this morning. It struck an exciting chord with me, kind of spine tingling. Deborah wrote, I used to live on Long Island, New York, and I went by the Amityville Horror House. Some people say it was never haunted, but the couple who bought it left everything there and fled. There must have been something frightening going on in that house for them to leave and never go back. Love your show and the diverse topics you discuss. Well, thank you, Deborah. From our chat room, Kathy commented, Michael is a fantastic guest. I love his information. Now, Ravinder, while we're on the chat room, what is all this stuff last week about me smiling and what you have to do to get a smile? <laughs> yes, we had a comment in the chat room. They had just received our new catalog, and we had your new PR pictures in there. And someone commented, I don't remember who it was now, I'm sorry, but someone commented that you were almost smiling. Like, I always smile. Yeah, but not as soon as the camera turns on you. You put your camera face on. And uh, yes, I have to do a jig. It's just as well the photographer doesn't turn around. (laughs) Some of the things I do to get that smile. All right, back to our letters. George wrote, (laughs) I love your newsletter. Much valuable information. Well, thank you, George. And for all of you, remember my InTouch newsletter is free. And you can subscribe to it by going to eldentaylor.com. Typically, the newsletter comes out about every two weeks. I say typically because sometimes I get slammed, and it may go a month or so between issues. Carol wrote, I find that your CDs are the best available, and I have used them for many years. Well, thank you, Carol. InterTalk is a patented and proven effective technology, and that was important to me. I wanted to be certain that the technology was successful before we ever took it to the market. To that end, we ran our first study back in the mid-80s, and since then, about 40 good studies have been conducted, all demonstrating efficacy. And from my perspective, the best part is that the large majority of studies were conducted by independent researchers at leading institutions around the world in multiple languages and including in the most rigorous of designs, the double-blind study. I don't think there's anybody else in the self-help field that can make a claim of that nature. All right, neurologist Dr. Christian Inescu wrote, Intertalk continues to be, after 10 years of using them daily in my neurology practice and my personal life, the most helpful and life-changing programs that I have ever encountered in my professional and spiritual life. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Inescu. 
Christopher wrote, I've been reading Mind Programming and I'm blown away by the helpful information. I definitely feel the pull to explore the helpful tips and tricks of mindfulness and health therein. Well, thank you, Christopher, and I would remind all of you out there, if you don't yet have your copy, and or if you want to get one for someone you care about, Amazon has the book on sale for about $10, and it comes with a free Intertalk Serenity CD that sells all by itself every day of the week for $27.95. So now's a great time to get your copy. Lauren wrote, I have recently purchased your book, Mind Programming, and it has been so inspiring. Thank you for sharing this vital information that everyone has the right to and should know. Alexandra wrote, thank you, Eldon Taylor. Your book has brought me a whole new perspective about the world I live in. I have no words to describe how you changed my perspective about everything that surrounds me. I am looking forward to reading your other books. Thank you, Alexandra, and please do stay in touch as you read more. Helga wrote, Hi, Eldon. Love your show. It has been instrumental in my growth on my path to enlightenment. Thank you. Well, you're more than welcome, Helga, and, and thank you for listening. And Karen wrote, Your program, your radio program, excuse me, on Hay House has helped me to focus on what is possible and also to be kinder to myself. Thank you for being clear and offering so much support. Well, it's our honor and pleasure, Karen. Thank you for your words of encouragement. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters, obviously. We can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming, and thank you for your support. Now, we're going to continue today in our exploration of spirits and spooks. Indeed, We'll look a little deeper into the most famous of poltergeist cases, at least in recent times, and that's the Enfield poltergeist. But that may just be the tip of the iceberg, the beginning of it, for our guest today is not only best known for his work with the Enfield poltergeist, but he states that he spent four nights in a house captured by poltergeist. He also underwent psychic surgery, and he witnessed automatic writing, reincarnation, communications from the dead, and he's a bit of an expert on um, twin telepathy. So we have a lot to discuss. Now, you know, years ago, there was a documentary film. I believe it was titled The Psychic Connection. This circulated rather widely. I, I obtained my copy. Uh, it, the film itself featured spiritual practices from around the world that are lumped into the category of supernatural. There were men eating red-hot coals, still others chewing glass. Up-close surgeries where the rapid motion of a surgeon's hands seemed to somehow open a cavity in the patient's body, and material was removed. A friend of mine, Dr. Lee Poulos, appeared in the film, and he assured me that the material was genuine and real, and he insisted that efforts were taken to preserve bodily fluids and tissue removed from the patient's, so that they could be matched and thereby rule out, you know, some form of fakery. Now, that said, I remember showing this very film to an associate of mine, Professor Emeritus Joseph Albini, who only, you know, let me digress a minute. Um, Joseph Albini was a, a, a professor of sociology of, of great merit, an expert in his field. And when I showed him this film, it was in the comfort of our home. 
Um, he actually had a date, and my wife and I, and he and his date, uh, we put this film on to just look at possibilities. Now, the minute the film came on, he began to laugh. And he told the story of how the students at Wayne State had played this film in the student union building as a gag, where everyone laughed and chided anyone, all of those who might possibly be dumb or gullible enough to believe this, quote, supernatural stuff to be real. You have heard many guests on this show go at risk of their professional status, reputation, and sometimes even their license to practice in coming forward with firsthand accounts, research, and findings of everything from alternative medicine to the paranormal, ideas that challenge the orthodoxy. It's a common tactic nowadays to marginalize those with whom you disagree. And one such popular method is to infer their lack of intelligence. In other words, only the uninformed or stupid would swallow accounts of a poltergeist. Might be the words of a cynic such as James Randi. We see this same technique deployed in politics when politicians say something inferring stupidity, like small-town voters are bitter clinging to God and their guns. All right, what is there to believe and why? Our guest today is Guy Lyon Playfair. Guy was born in India and educated in England, obtaining a degree in modern languages from Cambridge University. He then spent many years in Brazil as a freelance journalist for The Economist, Time, and the Associated Press. The first of his 12 books, The Flying Cow, in which he described his experiences investigating the psychic side of Brazil, was translated into six languages and became an international bestseller. He lives in London and is a council member of the Society for Psychical Research. We will be talking to him today about his total experience in the realm of the psychical, including his books, Telepathy, The Twin Connection, and The Inside on the Poltergeist Story at Enfield, This House is Haunted. That's a great book. I have the book sitting on my table right now. It's full of pictures, chock full of stories that uh, they challenge challenge your belief. But by the time I think we have this show over with, perhaps you'll have new room for the margins of where we consider to be the borders of belief to be. So let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Guy Lyon Playfair. Hello. I'm glad you're here today. First, you know, I try to get three criteria into each show. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And how do we use it? So let's begin by having you tell us a little about yourself and how and when you became interested in the paranormal. Oh, well, that's quite a long story. Um, I always had been, really. My mother was a member of the Society for Psychical Research, so when I was growing up, I, I used to read the uh, journal along with my comics and jazz magazines. There wasn't very much else at, uh, in those days. And I just accepted it as something perfectly normal and um, got on with normal life. And as you say, I, I went to university and um, then emigrated to Brazil, <clears throat> mainly because of the weather. Um, Cambridge was horribly windy, and Rio de Janeiro was beautifully warm and sunny. 
And I started working there as a freelance journalist. And then I got um, grabbed by the U.S. Embassy to work in the aid uh, press department, which was very interesting. And that really taught me how to how to work under very high pressure and uh, get sort of messages like the ambassador's opening a sewage plant this afternoon. He wants a thousand words on you-know-what. So uh-huh. I got accustomed to um, doing fairly competent reporting and also a lot of business stuff for um, the local Chamber of Commerce journal and um, occasional pieces for Business Week, McGraw-Hill International and so on. So I had a very respectable start and then um, it all kind of went strange because it was actually an American friend of mine, uh, um, an actor from Hollywood named Larry Carr, who was hired to make a picture in, in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And I was also working on the film as a translator, so we we got together. And he, he he was very interested in all the kind of local spiritist scene. And he used to tell me wonderful stories about how he'd go and walk on glass and watch psychic surgeons ripping people open and so on. And I thought, well, one day I'll, I'll come along too. So one day I did. And I witnessed um, a very little-known psychic surgeon, because he sadly died very soon after I met him, um, a man named Eddie Valdu, um, who was apparently grabbing people, uh, sticking his hands on people's stomachs and causing large holes to open and pulling things out and generally slapping them around. And... Um, I, I was allowed to come in and watch right close up, and um, in fact, I went many times. I got to know the man quite well and interviewed him, the, the only interview he'd ever given, which is in, in the flying car, and uh, finally, I ended up having an operation myself. Uh, there wasn't anything terribly wrong with me, but I just really wanted to know what it felt like, and uh, that that was a very odd experience indeed, so from then on, I forgot about writing stories about hydroelectric dams, which I really didn't find very exciting, <laughs> although they, they paid the rent. And I decided to look into this whole psychic scene, and um, thanks to Larry's contacts in the spiritist community, um, they knew all about things like reincarnation, poltergeist, mediums, and uh, automatic writing and all that stuff. So I, I just started there, and um, very soon found I had enough to fill a book, quite a long one, and then another one, and so it went on. It's, tell us, tell us what what it was like to undergo the operation. Well, it was, <laughs> it's rather hard to describe. I mean, I did my best in the book, but it, it was a thoroughly odd experience, and I should say immediately, in case all the usual skeptics are listening, that I do know something about how to do it by fakery. In fact, I think I know exactly how to do it by trickery. And this man was not using any of the methods that any trickster that I know of had ever used. It felt exactly um, as though somebody was groping around inside me, sort of pulling things around and twisting up my guts in various directions. And the the most... uh, hardest thing to explain was that after it was over, I was completely rigid. I just could not bend at all. I had great difficulty in climbing into a taxi 
and even greater difficulty in getting my shoes off when I got home because I couldn't couldn't bend down to reach them. I, I was absolutely like, like a slab of wood, and I had to just go to bed, and um, it wore off the next morning. But that that is an experience that I think would be very hard to do by any kind of anaesthetic or hypnosis or whatever. So that, that's what I remember most clearly of the whole experience. Did you bleed? Uh, little tiny drops. Um, there were two red marks on my abdomen, and um, by the next morning they'd gone before I could take a picture of them, which I was hoping to do. Um, wow. No, there was no there was no blood at all. And, and, and later, in fact, when I um, I actually was sitting next door, to, next on the same bench as Sedivaldo while he was um, doing a job on on a young woman. He suddenly grabbed my hand and stuck it in. That that really, <laughs> well, um, all I can say was that it was warm and it was wet. And again, you cannot fake that. You just try putting putting a pouring water onto your belly. It's going to run off unless yes. you're quite unnaturally thin. Uh, it will run off sideways, and on this occasion, it did not. And I have pictures. In fact, and he put your hand right the inside cavity with Eddie Baldo with one hand in the air, and you just you just can't fake that. I've, I've asked numerous magicians. I know four members of the British Magic Circle who know every trick there is, and um, they're very helpful. They they just say no, that's not an effect we use. We we don't know that one, and um, so I consider whatever the critics, skeptics, and people might say that that's what happened. That's what I saw. Well, in, in the first-hand experience, let, let me ask you something while we're on that. A, a friend of mine just got back from seeing John of God, and he's a, a neurosurgeon. And, and uh, you know, he uh, understands, his understanding is often the surgery or, or the work that is done by these healers is designed just to trigger belief as opposed to actually do a healing uh, did you see that to be an operational design that underlied, uh, you know, the, the work that the healers you witnessed uh, were involved with? Or were they actually doing a surgery like a conventional Western um, surgeon might, uh, removing a growth that was indeed an impediment, a health impediment? Well, they vary. There are several different types of psychic surgeon um the one I saw was what you might call the bare-handed gang, um, which Wandy Deo saw, John of God. He, he used actual surgical equipment. Um, I believe he's retired now, but he was... Uh, I've seen numerous uh, video um, tapes of him in action, and he certainly chopped people up. And I met one of his patients who was actually operated for a lipoma in her back while she was standing up, which is unusual. And uh, she told me that she felt a sort of faint tickling, but no pain at all. And uh, it was interesting because he took, he took a very long time to get the thing out. And I, I showed it to a doctor friend of mine who, who said that's really not the way to do it. You know, a doctor could do that in, in five minutes, and he took about 20. And um, he was making a Probably with a rusty knife. Yeah. Well, he did get the thing out finally, but it was certainly not conventional surgery as we know it. And... Um, I mean, there's even one extraordinary fellow who, who um, uses an electric drill. I'm not quite sure what for, but I mean, the, the 
interesting thing is that they just do not cause any pain at all. And the, the, the doctor who watched that film said, well, she must have been hypnotized. Well, she wasn't. I mean, I asked her that first question. Besides, mm-hmm. I mean, you could see the whole operation live on, on camera, and, and he, he didn't say anything at all. He, he just, just picked up his scalpel and got in there. So there's something interesting going on. They have a bunch of young Brazilian um, doctors from the University of Juiz de Fora who have been following up some of um, John of God's cases, and um, results are slightly ambiguous. They, 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 there are improvements. That there have been cases where, where people have got better. But then, of course, you can reasonably say that they might have got better anyway. So um, at least they have started to, to um, look into this rather more thoroughly than, than they used to in, in time when I was there. He hasn't retired, by the way. I plan on seeing him this uh, this November, for, oh, for that oh, matter. Good. But uh, and, and you know, concurrent with what you're saying, I recently watched a film uh, that had my friend in it, where he was there witnessing uh, a cornea being scraped uh, without anesthetic, uh, a, a breast surgery uh, again without anesthetic. And, you know, as a, just to look at it, I didn't have a chance to talk to either people, but just to look at it, the woman definitely with a breast surgery appeared to be responding uh, to pain. How much pain? I mean, obviously it was much less than, you know, had she been anesthetized. Uh, well, no, I said that incorrectly. <laughs> it, it was more than had she been anesthetized, but it, it was less than what... You would expect, but I've also seen hypnoanalgesia produce states where, you know, surgery is possible and an individual feels just a little bit of pressure or something. So, but you actually, you spoke to this person. She was not hypnotized. You saw it. You had a healer place your hand inside the wound. So I think we can fairly conclude it's real. Yes, it certainly is. And I think the most um, impressive demonstration I've ever seen was actually done in a large public um, conference center in in Basel in, um, Basel in Switzerland, where they have an annual um, kind of psychic conference, and um, there was another Brazilian surgeon there, um, Dr. Edson K. Royce, uh, again using conventional scalpels and things, and you see in big gruesome close-up, he just he just grabs hold of this woman's breast, and sticks the knife in and pulls something out. And then a month later, they had the woman's um, physician testifying. I'm going to have to ask you to hold it right there. We'll pick that up when we come back. We have a hard break. Uh The book is The House is Haunted. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. We're talking with Guy Lyon Playfair about psychical matters, including poltergeist, psychic surgery, telepathy, and much, much more. Uh, if you're not in our chat room, now's a good time to get there. We have a film for you that features the Enfield poltergeist, that Enfield investigation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a few words from our friends. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. 
Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Eldon's international best-selling book, Mind Programming, is a must-read if you wish to live awake in a world of sheeples. Film producer Jeff Warwick had this to say about mind programming. Dr. Eldon Taylor's new book is a must-read. If you've ever questioned your purpose in life or felt bound by a culture that's driven by mass media, you now have at your fingertips the knowledge and tools to break the chains of this cycle. Eldon goes in-depth to illustrate and expose how we've been programmed from birth by social constraints, and he methodically reveals the psychological techniques that advertisers, politicians, corporations, and the media use to control us. He then provides strategies and solutions to free your mind from these tactics and rise to a new level of consciousness. As you read this book, you'll feel the blinders being removed and will truly see the world in an entirely new light. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing the book, This House is Haunted and Other Psychic Matters with author Guy Lyon Playfair. But before we get back to today's show, I want to invite you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan of the show, you will receive special announcements and incentives from time to time, as well as advance notice on show programming and comments on past show. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook while you're there, and of course you can follow me on Twitter. If you like our show, please do spread the word. We genuinely appreciate your support. All right, let's get back to the program. Before the break, we were discussing uh, Dr. Royce and the surgery you you were telling us about in Switzerland. Pick that story back up, if you will, Guy. Well, it was held in, as I say, a nice modern exhibition center in um, Basel, Switzerland. About 800 people present. And um, this Brazilian surgeon, uh, Edson K. Royce, was um, operating on a brightly lit platform with the patient's um, doctor watching and um, you saw a great big close-up of her bare breast and he just started slicing away at it and pulling things out of it. There was just no mistaking that at all. That, that was certainly no kind of fakery that I can conceive of and the woman was, was wide awake and chattering away in, in German and um, totally um, pain-free. You know, I guess the follow-ups that you're suggesting that they're doing right now with John of God, those are the kinds of things that, that's about the only thing left uh, with respect to verifying this, this work. Because it, it appears that there are enough eyewitness testimony, there are enough first-hand accounts, uh, et cetera, to, to tell us that psychic healing of some kind, of some shape, psychic surgery, is real. The, the remaining question, I guess, is, uh, and the only remaining question is, what is its efficacy? Is it, uh, does it have a higher healing rate than what we have in traditional Western medicine? And, and how much of this do you think is, uh, is suspended in a state of belief? Do you, do you have a comment on that before we go on? 
Uh, well, I, th I think the best authority on this that I can think of offhand is a American um, anthropologist named Sidney Greenfield, who mm -hmm. um, he, he tramped all over Brazil and, and um, studied and filmed a great many of these surgeons, and he did follow up quite a few of the cases. And, and yes, um, some of them were definitely improved, including, ironically enough, a Brazilian doctor who had quite a serious complaint which he couldn't cure himself, and um, one of these psychic surgeons did. So, so um, they, do, they do achieve cures, and as you say, they are extremely well witnessed. You just cannot ascribe all of it to, to any sort of trickery because the tricks are very well known, and any magician can spot them from half a mile away. Right. I, I, I don't think a skeptic would say there's trickery. You have to be a true cynic, as we call them around here. But OK, before we get into the specificity of your research and experience having to do with poltergeist, I guess the bottom line is, do uh, you, you know, in your view, is there any such thing as disincarnate beings interacting with the living and if you believe there is, why? Well, by, by a process of elimination, because they do things that we can't do. I mean, um, on, uh, on the first case that I was on in, in, in Sao Paulo in Brazil, I, I spent a couple of nights in, in a house that had, that had been having poltergeist trouble for years. It had been going on, I think, for three years on and off. And... Um, I witnessed all kinds of stuff close up, including very loud bangs on the uh, on the wooden floor above, on the staircase. And I had the idea of making some bangs myself on the same floor with a broom handle. And I thought it'd be interesting to compare the acoustic pattern and see if they were the same. Well, they're not. They're absolutely different. And um, these have now been studied by a colleague of mine and published in the Journal of the SPR, Society for Psychical Research, mm -hmm. in um, 2010, I think it was. Um, yes, and, and we, we managed to collect tape recordings from about 10 different cases from all over the world. And they all look the same, and they do not look like normal percussive sounds. What they do look like is the, is the signature you get from an earthquake, which is interesting, suggesting that the sounds actually come from inside the wood. So, I mean, that's an example of the sort of proper evidence that I always try to try to look for and um, been lucky in finding some, some, not, not as much as I would have liked, but certainly some. So I guess, you know, I, I'm going to harken back uh, how much uh, of the phenomenon that you have witnessed do you believe could be produced by other means? Psychokinesis is a case in point. Uh, as opposed to a disincarnate being. Well, we, of course, we don't know what disincarnate beings can and can't do, but all, all I can say was that I've witnessed things um, not only at Enfield, but um, several other occasions. I've seen things that we just simply can't do. So it's tempting to assume that there has to be a kind of extra dimension or an extra layer of reality or... Um, spirit in, in, intervention, whatever you want to call it, but it, we we cannot account for these things in terms of our present knowledge of um, science, okay, let's, psychology, let's just, physics. Um, right. 
as we as we are taught it. It just won't do. Let's assume that uh, that it, we are dealing with a poltergeist. That it, it's not PK of some kind or another. Um, you know, there, there has to be some reason that these poltergeists uh, manifest. There has to be some underlying this, that, or the other uh, behind the motivation. Uh, are, are, do you have a theory on that? Are we dealing with trapped souls? Are we dealing with evil spirits? Uh, whatever that might mean. Uh, what is your theory? Well, the, the, um, I, I'm not impressed by any of the usual explanations because the standard uh, so-called normal explanation of a poltergeist is that it's a kind of um, exteriorization of the inner tensions of the unfortunate victim who tends yes. to be a teenage girl, but is certainly not always... We've had adults with the same problem. And uh, I just don't go for that because they're, they're supposed to be re- um, uh, reacting to, to a, a broken family and, and a distressed atmosphere and so on. Well, goodness me, I mean, since 1977, when, when Enfield took place, that's 35 years ago, the number of broken families has gone up hugely. And the number of poltergeist cases has not. So there's simply no um, correspondence. That theory just doesn't make any sense. And there was nothing special about the um, family involved at, at Enfield um, to make them different from any other family of the same kind of level. So, um, no, they, they are a total mystery. I, I just can't begin to explain them, I'm afraid. Michael Clarkson last week indicated that in 75 cases that he had personally investigated, and he had uh, Enfield was one that he'd looked into, uh, not to the extent that you have, um, but in 75 cases he indicated that uh, he was not aware or was unable to find where a poltergeist had injured another person. Do you have huh. the same kind of experience? Sorry. He should have been at Enfield because the first... Um the first day I went there, I met the photographer um, who'd been called in by, um, from the Daily Mirror newspaper. He had a massive great bruise on his forehead where, where a little toy Lego brick had slammed into him at colossal speed, missing his eye by about an inch. And that was a, that was a big red bruise. Which I saw. Was it intentionally thrown at him, or was it just uh, that he was in the wrong place? Well, he was actually taking a photo of the family as he was hit. So, I mean, you can quite clearly see nobody throwing anything. I mean, that, that's the sort of evidence I like. I mean, you can't, you can't argue with that because he was a well-known right. professional photographer who right. ironically had just been covering a very violent uh, strike uh, at a factory where people were throwing around real bricks and things. And he missed no, and, and and that was my understanding that there that that some of these manifestations had, appeared to have malevolent intent. Period. End of quotation. Uh, and that's why I wanted to clear that up. Let me ask you another question while we're on that subject. Are you familiar with the uh, this the case known as the entity from the movie? Uh, that's Frank Felito, isn't it? Uh, um, yes, it, I remember it at the time. Allegedly, uh, a, a, a woman, a mother. Uh, uh, you know, attacked and repeatedly raped and in front of uh, researchers by a poltergeist? Uh, yes, I do, I do remember the case, and, and um, I can't say I've come across anything quite 
up to that level. Although I, I did, um, I did interview a woman in in Brazil who, who gave me a very graphic account of what's generally known as incubus, which um, she'd also had poltergeist-type phenomena in her apartment. And ironically, she was actually a university lecturer in psychology and, and a devout behaviorist who had rather changed her <laughs> way of looking at the world after all that happened. But well, she, I'll say, a devout behaviorist, that's not... She, she used to be that. You, you have to add that. She couldn't continue to be a devout behaviorist at that. No, I'm sure she's not no. now. I mean, she, she, um, she had quite a very hairy experience, which is also described in the flying cow. And um, it all started when she picked up a plaster statue off the beach of the sea goddess Yemanja. And um, you aren't supposed to do that because the sea goddess doesn't like it. And she got the um, full works punishment. The Flying Cow, by the way, for all of you listening out there, is a marvelous book. It is a marvelous book. All right, let's do this. Let's go right into Enfield. Tell us about the Enfield, you know, give us a little bit of the history, uh, the, the story, uh, flesh that entire matter out for us. Uh, well, it started um, 1977, 1st of September, um, with the children in bed saying that something was scratching on the wall, and um, they thought no more of it. And then the, the mother came up to see what they were, they were complaining about, and, and she said the... Uh, the chest of drawers simply slid across the floor in front of her, and um, she didn't know what to make of that, and she pushed it back and, and did, did it again. So they got in a bit of a panic, and they went next door to, to a neighbor who, who was a builder, a tough character who didn't get scared easily. And at the same time, they had all this knocking on the wall, which went on quite a long time, and they, they couldn't find any normal cause and um, after that night, it really took off, and, and uh, oh, it, was, it all, everything you can think of happened. You know, the furniture flying around, and girls being slung out of bed, and um, objects appearing on the roof of the house, which you couldn't reach from the window, and on one occasion, even going into the house next door through a wall. And um, it was just one thing after another. Like, uh, it was really very hard to keep up with it. Now, one of the, you know, charges that comes out of Enfield is there was some faking that went on. And, and I guess it, it did go on. There was actually some photographers or a, or a, a camera crew that heard the sisters talking about it. Uh, how much of the activity that took place there do you think was faked? Or are these reports themselves uh, credible? No, there certainly was tricks. I mean, we knew that at the time, and I, I, I thought it was quite an encouraging sign because it meant they were getting back to normal. I mean, what, what these people forget is that at the, at the start of this case, the family was absolutely terrified. They were, they were scared out of, out of their wits. They, they, were all, they were all sleeping in the same room. Um, no, no, I think it was three to a bed at one point, and they, they would not turn the light off all night. And sometimes they wouldn't even go into a, a kitchen or something on their own. They would ask somebody to come with them. They were really scared, period. And you don't fake that, and why on earth would you? 
Well, as they got used to it, they they um they started playing a few tricks, and they were they were not very good at it. I mean, they, on one occasion, they hid my tape recorder and said that the ghost had taken it, and I thought, oh uh, yeah, and I found it quite easily. And um, unfortunately for them, it was it was still recording. So there was all the evidence, and I just right. said, uh, no, don't play around with this recorder. It's quite an expensive one, and and. That's that was it. I mean, we, we, they knew, we knew, and um, they've been very consistent several times, including quite recently. The girls have said that they reckon they played tricks on maybe two percent of the cases. Well, that leaves ninety-eight when they didn't, which is what we thought at the time. But yeah, yeah, they certainly did fool around, and, and as I say, they were they, they were extremely incompetent at um, playing tricks. All right. Well, let me let me you know pursue this a little bit as a devil's advocate. <clears throat> young people, yeah, well, for that matter, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be too awful young to to start telling a story, a scary story. You know, uh, maybe you're around a campfire, it's dark outside at night, or you're in the automobile in an unlit street or an unlit area, and you begin to tell a story. And the and the next thing you know, as you're telling the story, you begin to become nervous yourself. You start looking over your shoulder. The hackles on your neck stand. In other words, it's not uncommon for people to create fear out of their own fiction. So, what what phenomena did you personally witness? Goodness me, uh, I think there were about thirty of them altogether that I witnessed absolutely close up. I think the most impressive was um, a very heavy armchair which was sort of solid. It, it was not on legs. You know, it went right down to the floor, so you couldn't get a foot under it. Um, one of the girls was sitting in that, and she got up and walked past me into the kitchen, and the chair just slid along the floor after her. went about, I suppose, four or five feet. And um, naturally, I looked for the famous hidden wires, which you never find, but you always hear about, and there weren't any. And... Um, I found it was actually quite hard to push the chair. It was it was uh, it was a very heavy one, and um, all kinds of other things. I remember my notebook on one occasion just jumping off the bed, right under my nose, and hopping into the into, in, onto the floor in a way that it couldn't possibly have done normally. You know, small things like that, but th- th- that really went on all the time. And, and um, on another occasion, a <clears throat> book came flying out of the room and went round a corner is interesting and um, it was the same book that was eventually found in the house next door after apparently going through the wall um, but it, it was just one thing after another I, I tried uh, noting every single incident and I remember on one evening there were ten of them in the space of one minute and I just can't write that fast I'm afraid and uh, did my best to, to keep up with it all but it was very 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 intense activity Sometimes um, just non-stop. <clears throat> were you, were you ever frightened, guy? No, um, I, I I was um, quite worried when one of the girls began to have kind of trances, which um, looked uncomfortably like the so-called possession, and um, it, it just wouldn't go away. We had numerous doctors and psychiatrists came around to look at her and then um, by pure chance or whatever 
couple of Brazilian friends of mine turned up in London and went there, and, and they sorted it out straight off. And um, the girl promptly went to sleep for 14 hours nonstop, which is pretty unusual. And um, that, that was extremely impressive. And I think if they hadn't come, I, I just don't know what would have happened. It was, it was getting very, very terrible for the mother. I mean, she just couldn't find anybody to help. Which, which another thing that the skeptics forget is that people who are affected by a poltergeist, they don't need sort of snide remarks from cynics. They, they need help. And they don't right. get it. They don't get it from the local council or from the police or from the, the well, the welfare people did their best, but they're not really trained to handle that kind of thing. So who do they turn to? And luckily, there is a Society for Psychical Research, which is supposed to concern itself with these things, and that's what they did, luckily. You're, you're French from Brazil. They were spiritists, I take it? Yes. Uh, yes, it was um, Luis Gasparetto, who's better known as a psychic artist, and Elsie Dubugras, who was the editor of the magazine Planeta, and also a medium herself, and um, a very eminent one. And um, they just uh, immediately responded to, to a request for help without any question of payment or anything else, and they, um, they did their job. It was most impressive, incredible. Yeah, their work is, I mean, spiritist work, especially with... Uh you know, psychologically disturbed uh, individuals uh, is very impressive. All right, you know, we're we're running short of time, and there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So I, I'm just gonna, I, I'm gonna jump you from the polar guys to uh, some of your work with twins uh, in telepathy. Um, you, you have a book uh, out on telepathy, and in an article in the Paranormalia. Uh, that I've taken a look at, and you've spent a great deal of time and effort in researching twin telepathy. Some of your stories are amazing. Uh, for example, and you correct me if I get this wrong, but there's two male twins that had different areas of interest, and I think one played soccer and the other was interested in the guitar. But after a few months, the the, the brother that had not played the guitar knew how to play the guitar without ever taking a lesson. Somehow he had shared this knowledge psychically and uh, tell us about this i don't think that's one of my cases i don't recognize that but i, I um i have uh, several examples of um twins doing very unusual things and one of my favorite ones is um the, t the two boys who were um no they were young women who were studying for an exam and they left it a bit late and so they decided to read half the books each and apparently produced identical papers, um, having simply not read the books. That may wow. be a bit too good to be true, but um, I've got an enormous file of, of twin reports, mostly collected direct from the either the, the twins themselves, or better still, their mothers, because the mothers are much better witnesses of, obviously, babies. You can't interview a baby. You can only gurgle at you. And... Um, some of them were shown earlier uh, last year on the ABC um, twin program they did. I, I found a, a couple for them, the, the one uh, little six-year-old girl who got a black eye on the trampoline. And um, at the same time, her sister, who was not on the trampoline, got the same black eye. Absolutely you know, simultaneous. And that, that's very, very common. I mean, it, it's... it's um, 
absolutely not not deniable any, any longer. Um, could, could I just say that although I'm delighted to plug a book, I mean, this is one book I would ask you not to buy until the new edition comes out, which, as it happens, I just finished yesterday. So the third edition, which is very much larger and better, and also contains the first ever um, proper scientific experiment um, in a laboratory controlled experiment in transmission of um, sensation, which is going to be published in a journal called Explore sometime this year. It has been accepted, and you can see the chart in there. And that is a real breakthrough. It's never been done, and um, it wasn't easy. But um, there it is, and, and um, I have managed to get hold of an advanced copy of the chart, which the polygraph expert kind of gave me. And that will be out quite soon from White Crow Press, so keep an eye Sounds on, on Amazon.com, and it'll, it'll be there. It's called, um, well, I think it's going to be called just Twin Telepathy. It might We're be out of time, guys. Out of time. Something. Out of time. You've got to send me a copy of that book. Don't anybody buy it. We'll have Guy back, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's incredible information. I really appreciate you being here today. In five seconds, tell everybody you're... I'm sorry, it's gone. We've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank you all for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time, same place. Until next time, remember, wherever you are in the world, believing in yourself always matters. <laughs>